So in Acts 15 and verse 1, beginning, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and the sisters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through it, uh, that you're teaching us about life and life with you by it, uh, Lord, and, and we find in it encouragement and even health to all of our bones. I thank you, Lord, that you will illuminate your word for us today and the glory of your gospel will always shine forth in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So in uh, 2011, 2011, which is uh, 11 years ago now, uh, probably around this time of the year, uh, I had some friends that I had known when I was growing up. They came and visited the church with their, their uh, daughter at the time. She's still their daughter. They just now have more than one. Um, and they asked me, was your church have Sunday school? And at that time, we still had an adult Sunday school class. Uh, you know, now we've kind of repositioned. We do things a little bit differently. But we still had an adult Sunday school class. And I said, yes. But I realized I had never been. I'd never gone before. I've been here a long time. Just never been. And I told them about it. And the conversation went on from there. And then the Lord just kind of started to tap on my heart. You need to go to that class. You need to go to that class. And at that time, I was being taught by Sister Doris Strickland, uh, who several of you know, some of you don't. She hadn't been able to be here uh, as recently. Uh, she's been taking care of her mother uh, in her home. But I, I went to the class. And if you know Sister Doris, she teaches the word and she teaches it in context. She taught me a lot about that. Uh, but she taught over and over the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us and what we learn about that in the word. And I had been a believer for several years, several years, but I still needed to hear the gospel. And, and it ignited in me just such a love for Christ that I had not known the depths of before. I loved Christ, but, but a new depth of love for him because of the work that he had done for me and to fully understand, to more fully understand. I still don't fully understand, but to more fully understand his grace extended towards me in the cross, in, the, in his burial, in his resurrection. And just over and over, she, she taught it. And, and I remember thinking like, all right, well, what's she going to teach next week? Still the gospel. Well, all right, but what about next week? It's still the gospel. <laughs> okay, but next week, we're still the gospel. And just over and over. And then I realized how much I still needed to hear it. How much I needed uh, to know it. And it set me off on a, a whole new uh, excitement uh, for God's word and the beauty of it. And I, and I thank her for that still today. And, and in Acts chapter 15, we're dealing with questions around the gospel. Questions around what the gospel is, the good news. How are we saved? 
And what you'll see here and what we already know is we need to hear it. We need to continue to hear it. And we, st- and we need to heart it. We don't just need to hear it. We need to heart it. It needs to be on the inside of us. Because as we've been saved, we also walk. That's what Scripture tells us. That as you have been saved, so also walk. So here in the beginning of chapter 15, we're, at the ch- we're back at the church in Antioch. And you remember the church in Antioch was very diverse. Barnabas had gone down there from the church in Jerusalem when they heard that God was moving. And when he got there, he saw the grace of God in action. And so he encouraged the brothers and, and to, they would continue in the faith. And then he went, uh, remember, he, he looked for who should have been there and wasn't. And he realized that Saul should have been there. And so he went and got Saul from Tarsus and brought him back. And they stayed there in Antioch for a year. And they saw the Lord move and do mighty things. And then from Antioch, they were sent out as missionaries. And that's what we've been reading about these last few weeks is their missionary journey. Well, then they were received back into the church in Antioch as they made their loop and came back. And they're back there at the church in Antioch. Again, full of all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds. And in that setting, it says some men came down from Judea, which is close to Jerusalem. It's that area around Jerusalem and began to teach the brothers. And what they were teaching was unless you have been circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were teaching. And now this would be a great point to mention while we always read the word in context, because if you just take that verse, you can go out and teaching people that you have to be circumcised to be saved. Not going to be a popular message, by the way. But that's what they are teaching here. Now, now let's stop and say saved. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say we're saved? What does it mean to be saved? What we know is that God created us to be with him. Right. We talked about that a little bit last week. God created us to be with him, to live in him and sin separated us from God and not only fractured that relationship, but fractured everything else that's supposed to feed out of that relationship in our lives. Sin fractured our relationship with God. Sin fractured our estimation and our relationship within our own self, because if we're not right with God, we can't be right in our Self. We can't know ourselves. We can't be at peace in our own self. It also fractured the relationship that we have with others. We're meant to commune with others out of our communion with God. And when that was fractured, this was fractured too. And we see all the pain and issues that come out of that. And then creation itself. We're meant to have a, have a relationship with his creation. We're meant to be his viceroys on this earth, able to subdue creation. And then the earth itself quit partnering with us once sin entered the world. Those are all big problems that we have. We know he's there. We know we need to be with him and we can't be. And so to save mankind, save mankind from what that situation, he came born in the likeness of mankind. And passed each one of those tests. Again, I mentioned it last week. He had a right relationship with God the Father. No one knew himself better than Jesus knew himself. No one loved people more than Jesus loved people. And he even had dominion over creation itself. In John 1, in verse 12, it says, To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe on his name, who were born not of natural descent. He didn't have a bunch of kids. Or of the will of the flesh, meaning us doing it, or the will of man, meaning we're figuring it out, but of God. 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we're talking about being saved, that's what we're saved from. Not having God in our life, not having communion with Him, not being able to know Him and be loved by Him, not to enjoy that relationship. That's what we're saved from. Saved from our excommunication. We're saved from ourselves because us in our sinful state will hurt ourselves and others. We're saved from our sin. We're saved from its power over us. We're saved from the penalty of it at death and will eventually be saved even from the presence of it in the world around us. Amen. That's what we're, that's a big word. Saved. It's complete and total. And so this is what they had believed. This is what they were enjoying. And then some men came and they began teaching. Yes, you do need Jesus and you also need the circumcision prescribed by Moses. And you also need to be able to follow the whole law. You have to follow the whole law. And look, Paul and Barnabas, thankfully, they were back in town because it said, look at what it said. There was serious debate and argument. It got a little heated. Paul took the gospel very seriously, took it very, very serious. That's why I had to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel as it is. I don't have to add anything to it. It says there was serious debate and argument. And then the question was, how will this matter be decided? We have a disagreement here. How is it going to be decided? It's like, well, y'all came from Judea. Y'all came from down in Jerusalem. Let's all go and we'll gather together and we'll tell you why you're wrong. Which is probably what Paul was thinking, because that's what he was going to do. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to gather the apostles together. We're going to gather the elders together. And we are going to get to the bottom of this. Right. And in verse so in verse three, it says they were sent by their church back to Jerusalem, but they went through Phoenicia and Samaria. What are they doing? Preaching the gospel, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, those who were outside being brought near. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, then the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So we see the two sides of the argument here. You got one group coming and going, we're seeing Gentiles just saved all over the place. We're seeing things happen that's just like what's happening here. And this other group going, yeah, but they still need to be like us and be Jewish in order to be saved. And some of the question there is, how can we walk together unless we're in agreement? That's in how, how can two walk together lest we are in agreement? How can we fellowship together when I still look at them as unclean? How can we sit down and eat together when we don't observe the same things out of the law of Moses, out of the book of, say, Leviticus? How can we table together when we're so different? So the apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said, brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. 
And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples next that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. So Peter gets up. Peter still swung quite a bit of weight in Jerusalem, right? And he says, do y'all remember what I told you about Cornelius? Do, I re do you remember what I told you when I said that God sent me to minister to the Gentiles and then there with them? I saw the Holy Spirit move and manifest just like we were seeing it here in Jerusalem. There was no distinction. And we talked about that with Cornelius and the difference there. And Peter seeing the sheep come down with all the food in it and the argument of clean or unclean. Right. We won't go back and relitigate all of it. But essentially, the law made the nation of Israel distinct among all the other nations. It made them set apart from all the other nations of the world. They were distinct and it was exclusive. It was it kept us here and kept others away. But what we saw even with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and God beginning to move amongst the Gentiles as well as that Jesus is what now makes the church distinct. And instead of being exclusive, he is inviting others in instead of using Jesus to keep others away. Jesus welcomes all who would come because they heard the gospel. They believe the spirit given to them, just like the Jews in Jerusalem. And Peter said, because God knows the heart, there's no distinction between us and them. Their hearts have been cleansed by faith. And when he uses that word cleansed right there, it's the word that they would have used back in Leviticus to talk about ritual cleanliness, uh, acceptability to enter into God's presence. He said their hearts have been cleansed by faith. They're appropriate. They're acceptable to enter. So you see the path there. They heard, they believed by faith and they received. And there wasn't anything else that needed to be added to it. Peter reminds them, this is what happened. Now, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on these disciples next, these learners next, that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? He's like, neither us or our ancestors have been able to keep the whole law. It proved to us that we were law breakers, Right. Neither us or our ancestors kept it. And Peter reminds them how they were saved, how we are saved. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. We're saved the same way that they are by grace and not anything that we've done, but by grace. He's saying the law was there. We couldn't keep it. The law wasn't meant to make us righteous. It was made to show us we were unrighteous. Just like getting an x-ray is going to show you you have a broken bone, but it does zero to help mend the broken bone. It is a diagnostic. It is not a cure. He's like, we, we still were broken. We just saw that we were broken. We had the benefit of knowing that we were broken and they were looking forward to what? The Messiah that would come and make all things right with them. It's a diagnostic, not a cure. The gospel 
is not, hey, do you want to proclaim Jesus so you don't go to hell when you die? That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, well, do you want to go to hell when you die or do you want to go to heaven with mama and daddy? Which one do you think? Right? And there's so many people that heard that and were like, I'm going with heaven with mama and daddy. And never heard anything about Jesus. Never experienced his love. Their introduction to religion was through fear. Fear-based behavioral modification is what they got. And we have so many people that think they've heard the gospel and they haven't yet heard the gospel. We have so many people that think, and I'm not saying they haven't believed. I'm just saying they haven't enjoyed the good news. That's not good news. That's not good news. Instead, the good news is Jesus is the one that you've been looking for. Jesus is the one that you've been searching for. You were created to be with him. Whether you realize it or not, you have been desiring him. You've just been looking for the answer to that desire in worthless things, in vain things, in things that can't provide it. And that's sin. That's you rebelling against God. Whether you knew it or not, you were in rebellion against God and sin works death. That's why you experience that in your life. Death and corruption and pain. That's where it all comes from. And you weren't made for that. You were made for life with him. You were made to be with him and enjoy him forever. And that sin, when you were still covered with it, the Bible says when you were dead in it, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, that's when he loved you. That's when he came for you. That's when he died for the ungodly. And that's the gospel of grace. That's why it's good news. And that's Romans 5. We read that Wednesday night, didn't we? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It said, rarely will you find somebody that will die for a good person. You might even find somebody that would dare to die for a great person. But while we were still sinners, while we had done nothing, while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, couldn't be able to do nothing to make ourselves alive, that's when Christ died for us. And that is grace. To take from us our sinfulness and impute to us his righteousness. He took from us what was ours by right, by our birth, our sin, and he gave to us what was his and only could be ours by his grace, his righteousness, his right standing. To who? To all who would receive him and believe on his name. What it said in John chapter one. And that's Peter's argument. Peter's like, it's it's happening. How can you say they must do something else to be saved? They're being saved right now. And the spirit is confirming it and testifying to it. And then verse 12, the whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James responded, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his own name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. 
So this is big for them to see and to acknowledge that you don't have to go backwards to move forwards with him. He didn't he didn't come to make us Jews so that we could become Christians. He's calling pagans to be Christians. We don't have to go back and do in order to be acceptable. And the James that's speaking up, that's Jesus's half brother, right? He's the one that would write James later on. The other, the other James, the apostle, he died by the sword. He's already entered into glory. And he says, hey, if we look back, we remember that what God promised involved the Gentiles, too. He told Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He's like, and it continued on. It wasn't just about them. And so he steps up. You had Peter step up and say what he said. Then you have Barnabas and Paul step up and, and, and agree with that. And then you have James, who was one of the main leaders of the Jerusalem church at that time, though he didn't follow Jesus when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. But apparently when your half brother raises from the dead, it convinces you that he might be the Messiah. He stands up and agrees with them. And then we're going to look at verse 19 through 21. He says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Amen. That's some strange is said. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city and every Sabbath day. He is read aloud in the synagogues. So again, 19, he's like, we shouldn't put any difficulties on these Gentiles that are coming to Christ. In order to say they don't have to be circumcised in order to be believers. They don't have to be circumcised in order to be part of the church. Yes. All right. Freedom. Woo. And then he says, we are going to write them some things, though. We do want to write some things to them. And we want them to abstain from things polluted by idols or eating food offered to idols or other things polluted by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. It's like, huh? It's like you were telling them they shouldn't add anything. Are you adding something here? Let's look at it. Are you adding something? And what, what you'll see here is the tension that we deal with all the time. Those that came down from Judea to Antioch who were telling them, what are they telling? They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. They were telling them that they had no hope in Christ, no acceptance in him unless they did this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And that teaching made their salvation contingent upon something that they would do and that they would perform. Right. They were seeing it instead of the Jews are right here. The pagans are right here. Christ comes and he receives them both as they believe on him. They were seeing it as the Jews are right here. The pagans are right here. The pagans have to become Jews before Christ will come to them. That's the way that they were proclaiming it. In other words, you have to go through what I did in order to be saved. You have to come to Christ the way that I did and, 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 and live through the things that I live through. You have to be like me in order to be with him. That's what they were preaching. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 20 about the man who went out to hire workers for his vineyard. Remember this one? 
He went out at the very beginning of the day, early in the morning and found some guys who wanted to work and they settled on, here's how much I'm going to pay you to work in my vineyard today. And they were like, that sounds awesome. That's a great wage. I'm going to come and work in your vineyard today. And so they go back and start working. Then he goes back later in the morning and he hires some more help at the same wage. Then he goes back in the last hour of the day and hires several more to come work for just one hour. And then he tells his manager there, hey, bring them all up. We're going we're gonna to settle up with them. We're going to pay them uh, as I've agreed to. I want you to bring up the ones who got here the latest first. I want you to pay them first. And so they come up and he pays them the same thing that he had agreed to pay the guys who started the first thing in the morning. And then the ones who started first thing in the morning are like, this is great. Those guys just got here. We've been here all day. He paid them what he told us he was going to pay us. Just imagine what he's going to pay us. We've been here all day. And so then he, pay, he gets the second group up. He pays them the same ways that he told the first group that he would pay them. They're kind of like, that's kind of weird. I thought they were here longer, but, you know, we're probably the best here still. And then he gets to them and he's like, all right, here's what I offered to pay you. Here's what I'm paying you. And they said, well, what's the deal with that? Those guys came and just worked for an hour. And you paid them the same thing that you paid us. And, and what he said was, you're acting like I've done something wrong. You're, you're, you're saying this like, weren't you happy to, to have this when we talked this morning? Wasn't it? Weren't you just excited to come to work today and get paid this? What is it to you if I want to pay somebody with my money who came in at the last hour of the day? And see, that's the problem we have with grace. The, the ones that were there first are just like, wait a second. They hadn't been following you for as near as long as I have. They haven't gone through near as many. They don't have Leviticus memorized. They should have Leviticus memorized like me. I should be better than them. And he's like, you're acting like I, I, I've done something unfair to you. Are, are you not full of joy to be a part of this family? And wouldn't you want them to be a part of it too? So we have this tension between what they were teaching and then what James brings along and the church authorizes at the end. Yeah, we should write this to the Gentiles. We should tell them this. And the tension is, I don't do X, Y, and Z in order to be a believer in Christ, in order to be saved by Christ, in order to be acceptable to Him and welcomed by Him into His grace. I don't do these things to be that. Yet, as a believer... This is the way I live my life. As a believer, my life has changed. And you think about it in just another view on grace, a family member. You know, when you have a baby, they come into your house and they're completely welcomed. They're completely a member of the family and they don't bring anything to the table, right? They're just a big sucking sack of need. They don't bring anything at all. You have to teach them how to sleep. They don't even know how to do that right. Right? If it wasn't for you, they'd, they, would just, they, they wouldn't last a day. Right? They're not lasting long at all. And yet they're a member of the family. Their membership in the family isn't contingent on what they're bringing in. They're welcomed into that family. And they're celebrated as a part of the family, even when they offer nothing to the household. But that doesn't mean they stay that way. As they grow up, it's like, hey, you're a member of this family. It's not based on what you do. We love you unconditionally. But here's some things that a member of this family does. 
Here's some of the things that we believe is important in this household to do and to get done. Not so that they can be a member of the family, but because they already are. It's from acceptance and from grace that I do, not in order to obtain acceptance, right? And we've all felt less than, hadn't we? We've all felt less than when it comes to God the Father. We've all felt like He'll love me more when I can pray better. He'll love me more when I can hold my temper and my tongue better. He'll love me more when I break this habit. He'll love me more when I do this. And the truth of it is, He will never love you more than He did when you were that baby born into the kingdom, out of darkness into light. He loved you completely then. Your acceptance is not based on the things that you do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. And it's from that position of freedom in Christ that we do everything that we do, not to earn acceptance, but because we've already been accepted. Just like that baby born into the family grows up into the image of the family they've been born in. And that helps us to live at peace with one another. Right. Because I don't hold anything against you if you're coming in at the last hour, even if I've been here since this morning and vice versa. He accepts us together. So these things that James has written, the things that we do as believers, some of it is because we've identified, look, there's still sinful ways in us. And there's practices that we have been engaging in that are sinful, far from God, and will continue to work death and corruption in us, though we have been accepted by Christ. And so we're fleeing from those things and clinging to the things that he's teaching us about. We recognize that there are things in our past conduct that has been sinful. What relationship does light have with darkness? What relationship does righteousness have with lawlessness? We don't want to walk on this in these things anymore. Romans 6, should we continue to sin that grace may abound more? Heaven forbid how, how, how should we who have died to sin live in it any longer? We, we should be making our way out of that land because he's given us that safe passage into his kingdom. And so we walk in the way that we're saved. So there's some things there that, that we don't change to come to him. But when we come to him, he gets to work on us and begins to change us, starting with our heart, starting with teaching us. Yeah, that that's going to lead to death. This is the way to life. So look at some of those things. Abstain from things polluted by idols. They were worshiping the idols. Let's get away from those. Let's, let's, let's really take a big step away from that. And Paul would write later, he's like, some of y'all may be just fine buying meat out in the market that was uh, offered to idols. You may go, I don't care that idol's just a dead piece of something anyway. I, this meat's cooked and it's cheaper. I'm going to eat this. He said, that's fine. But some of you are never going to be okay doing that because you were in service to them and it's going to pull your heart back that away. All that carnal pagan worship is going to try to pull you that away. Stay away from that. Stay away from sexual immorality. That's an important one to stay away from, isn't it? Nobody ever argues about that one. He's saying that old life will bring its death back over into your new life and cause suffering. If you, if you try to bring that in to your new life in Christ, it's going to bring its death with it and going to cause you so many issues. Just get it away. And as we learn that, that's what we do. So some of it is so we can move away from the things that would otherwise pull us right back into the sin and the death that we were saved out of. 
Some of it's about hating sin, loving Him, and changing in His presence. And when He works on your heart first, you want to do that. This one who has loved me so much, I want to be closer to him. I don't want to have anything that gets between him and me. So that's one thing. But the other thing is when they're writing these things, some are so that they can walk together in Messiah who were raised Jews and people who were raised Gentiles. And look what James says in Romans. Romans. I've been quoting Romans a lot this morning. Acts uh, 15, 21. He says, for since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city and every Sabbath day. He is read aloud in the synagogues. He said, when y'all go back into these communities, there's a synagogue there. And there's a believing Jewish population there who haven't yet received Christ. Moses is going to continue to be preached. And you need to be able to evangelize them. You need to be able to reach them. You need to be able to love them where they are. And lay down some of the freedoms that you would otherwise have in Christ in order that their conscience wouldn't be violated when you approach them. Laying down freedom that I have in order to walk in agreement and strengthen my brother. Like I was talking about the, the food offered to idols. Paul would say later, some of y'all are going to be just fine with that. And that's great. Praise the Lord. Yeah, who cares what it was offered to? It's meat. Let's eat it. Let's do what we're going to do. It's clean in the eyes of the Lord. He said, but some, their conscience isn't going to let them do it. Some, they just can't do it. And if you invite them over for supper and you serve meat offered to idols, you've just laid down a big offense and a stumbling block in front of them. He's like, so pay a little bit more. Go the extra mile there, get the meat that you're going to be able to sit down and eat together. Some of it is to preserve the fellowship of a diverse church and preserve the fellowship of the table. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. I'm almost done. I'm going a little bit longer today. Verse 22, all the way through 29, and we'll finish up there. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. And they wrote from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you, along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and flee from sexual immorality, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So they send ambassadors to validate the message that they're sending to say, look, we take it this serious that we sent Judas. We sent uh, uh, Silas, who, who it sounds like we're known like it's going to it's like when uh, Peter and John came down to Samaria to see the work of the Lord that was going on there. And when they came down there, it's like those are the guys from Jerusalem. But they're able to say we're men just like you, just like Paul and Barnabas told the guys when they thought they were Greek gods. Hey, hey, we're just like you, but we're welcoming you into fellowship together. 
He's like, some people showed up and they taught some things and we're not about that at all. They weren't from us. They, 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 they were without authorization. They weren't speaking for any of us. And we, we sent these guys. We just want to send a letter with Paul and Barnabas, who are awesome. We just want to send it with them. We wanted to send representation to let you know to not listen to this. We know that it troubled you. You were troubled by their words and it unsettled your heart. Legalism will do that. Legalism will do that. It'll trouble you and it will unsettle your heart. I've seen people tortured by a, a legalistic mindset that God is just waiting for them to mess up so he can void the contract. We talked about that on Wednesday night. Like he's like he's not loving and he's not good and he's not gracious. And that he's just waiting for you to mess up. And it's still this performative thing of I have to do so well that he'll accept me. And it troubles your heart. And culture is into it way more than legalistic Christians. They, they, they will put out, you have to be this, you have to have this, you have to go here, you have to do this. If you don't do this, you're nothing. How could you ever be anything unless you do this and this and this, like so and so and so and so. And it's just crushing the weight that it'll put on you. It troubles your heart. Unsettles it. I mean, it's, there's not a foundation. There's not anything that, that it can rest on. Everything's in flux all the time. Why? Because it depends on me. And that's how I am. He says, we're not going to put any difficulties on you. We will tell you this. You'll do well to stay away from these things. Don't, don't go to food polluted by idols. Flee from sexual immorality because those things went together. They would worship the idols with sexual immorality. They thought that was how you worshiped God. Obviously, that's something we got to clear up because that's going to continue to work sin and death in them if they continue to participate in it, even though they're accepted by the cross of Christ. And then he says, keep from things that are strangled and keep from blood. Why? Because the Jews wouldn't sit down and eat that. Something strangled, the blood's not drained out. And they're not going to sit down and eat together. You see the church working through these disagreements, through this confusion by the spirit and moving forward with thought given to how we preserve the fellowship. Obviously, we want to do what is good and right and truthful, but we're also willing to lay down freedom, freedoms and rights that we may have as believers in Christ so that we can walk together with someone else who has a weaker conscience and help them be closer to Jesus. Remember, Peter said how we're saved, our hearts are cleansed by faith. And we don't want to wear a yoke or a teaching that Jesus didn't give. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just like anybody else who's ever been saved. And there's not an A team and a B team. There's not starters and bench riders in the kingdom as far as how Jesus looks at you, how he loves you and how he enjoys you. And then we grow up in Him. We grow into the image of the one that we're born after. We're sanctified by Him. And, and we, our life changes in Him. Not so that we'll be accepted, but because we already are. Not so we can be loved, but because we already are. And as much as possible, as much as possible, without compromising the truth, you preserve the fellowship. You preserve the fellowship. Don't strike others from the table. Unless, unless it's just absolutely necessary. 
And don't strike yourself from it. I'm not worthy to be at the table. I'm not worthy to approach him. I'm not worthy to be in him. You're not. Easy answer, you're not. He's made us worthy because he alone is worthy. He's given us access that we would have otherwise been denied. All of us, everyone, every single one. And again, the fellowship of the body, the power of the table. And there's something special about just sitting down with other people at a table with food. It's so strange how special it is. There's something about it. It just that's why we have restaurants. Why else? I don't want to go eat with people I don't know. But what do you, you sit down and take, even if it's just two people, one across from the other, and we've got food, we've got conversation, and we're spending time together. There's power in that. There's power in that. And he's like, I want y'all to be able to eat together. When you go back into these cities, there's going to be Jews there and Gentiles. I want y'all to be able to eat together. I don't want y'all to be separated. I want you being segregated based on what you came out of. I want you to be joined together based on what you came into. In Christ, the power of the table. And you don't strike yourself from it. You don't say, well, but, you know, I'm divorced. Well, I'm a felon. Well, I had an abortion. Well, I was uh, addicted to this. Well, I had issues with that. You don't know my past reputation. Again, he's talking to people that used to worship false gods with sexual immorality. All can come to Christ. And he loves us all the same. A bunch. More than we can ever imagine. We don't strike ourselves from the table because Christ didn't strike us from the table. And we want to make sure that if we're taking the good news out, that we're not attaching something to it that's going to trouble people's hearts. Because he didn't do that to us. He started with the gospel, the good news, born into the family. We can deal with some stuff later. We're not here to make people, remake people into our image. We're here to bring them to Christ so that they can be made, remade into his image. Amen. How are we saved? We're cleansed through faith. It's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of our works, not of anything we could have done to make ourselves appropriate, lest we be able to brag about it. Lest we be able to say God owed it to us. And he didn't. We're saved by grace. How then should we live in the same grace that we were saved into? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news. Let it always be before us. It's so good we need to hear it over and over and over because my heart is tempted to try to perform for you tomorrow. My heart is tempted to try to win you over by my own works tomorrow. And Lord, let me always remember that I'm accepted in you. In Christ, I'm accepted because he came for me when I was dead in my sins and trespasses, when there was nothing good about me, when there was nothing that I could have brought to the table he came for me and he died for me in that state. How will he not love me the same as I am today? Lord, I thank you for being patient with us as we grow, for teaching us and training us up just as we would a child to stay away from the things that would hurt us and harm us and cause us pain and to walk in the things that are going to bring us great joy. I thank you for that. 
And I thank you that you don't unsettle our hearts. You don't trouble our hearts with your words, but it is in you that we find peace. And Lord, that good news that that we found that has saved us, that will continue to be preached because it is just that good, that Jesus is the one that we are looking for. And we don't have to make ourselves appropriate or acceptable to come to you. All we have to do is come from the north, the south, the east, and the west and believe on his name and receive him. And that from him, we would then receive the right to be called children of God. And once we're in the family, you teach us how the family members are supposed to act. But we got in it by grace. And we live in it by the same grace that we got in it. And Lord, help us preserve the table. That we're able to sit down and fellowship and worship you over good food and good conversation and build one another up. Thank you for that. As we get ready to go today, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and give us peace protect us as we go. And Lord, I thank you that we have our eyes up this week for those pitfalls, the things that would draw us away from you, to flee from that. And Lord, to cling to what is good, what we've learned in you, what we've learned in Christ, and that's to be gracious. We're going to have an opportunity to be gracious this week. I thank you that you help fund that and you lead us into greater measure of ministering your grace to those around us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.